0: It's really-
1: the spirit of that last hymn the beauty of everything that we read are reading this morning which is a poem by Sonia Renee Taylor a poem entitled my Bo- my mother's body from her book the body is not an apology she writes The bread of her waist, a loaf, I would knead with my eight-year-old palms, sweaty from play. My brother and I marveled at the ridges and grooves, how they would summit at her navel. How her belly looked like a walnut. How we were once seeds that resided inside. We giggled, my brother and I when she would recline on the couch, lift her shirt, let her belly spread like cake batter in a pan. It was such a treat as licking the sweet from the electric mixers on birthdays. The undulating of my mother's belly was not a shame she hid from her children. She knew we came from this, Her belly was a gift we kept passing between us. It was both hers of her body and ours for having made it new, different. Her belly was an altar of flesh built in remembrance of us, by us. What remains of my mother's belly resides in a container of ashes I keep in a closet. Every once and again, I open the box, sift through the fine crystal with palms that were once eight, Feel the grooves and ridges that do not summit now, but rill through fingers granules so much more like salt than sweet today. And yet, still I marvel at her once body. Even in this form, I say, I came from this. I feel like I should say a slight disclaimer that even in this sermon one of two I still feel like I'm diving into things and just touching on huge subjects about which there is enormous feeling and personal life experience that I will not begin to do justice to. But I think you all know we are in a conversation, long and with many iterations, each of them a brushstroke on something we are trying to create and understand together. All of it, this life, how we live it better and make meaning. So with that, let's begin. I don't know if it's true for everyone or just my family, my family, drawn to Los Angeles because my dad was a young actor and my mother a free-thinking woman who loved adventure and loved him. Two young people who came of age in the 60s, met and married and had a baby, me, almost immediately. Was it all that that influenced a childhood, my, childhood, a babyhood that was one when everyone it seemed was keen that we all grow up being taught to love our bodies, to feel at home in them and not ashamed. So I remember taking baths with my mom, walking in on people who were changing their clothes and having no big ruckus made of it having early questions answered in matter-of-fact ways with no strange energy entering the room. You know that kind, the kind that makes a kid aware that they've hit some electrified ground of cultural fraughtness, if that's a word. I don't think I had any sense of self-consciousness of my body until I was maybe five. I called my dad and He thinks that's about when it happened. He regretted the moment. He used to tell it with a little bit of lament when he would retell it as a child, This story of when his baby was tossed out of Eden, to some degree unceremoniously, one summer day at a public pool. Pop was always keen that I be comfortable in the water. I seem to remember that his dad before him had been the same way about his children because grandpa had once seen a child drown because the child didn't know how to swim and ever after Woody resolved to teach his kids as early as he could take them in the water with him and keep doing so until he could toss them in at the deep end and have them rise up like porpoises. My dad did the same. It was a family tradition of care and the protection of bodies. So. There we were at the pool. By now, he and I were probably working on some of my basic strokes, and I was in a swimsuit, which is to say, my swimsuit bottoms, which is all I wanted to wear in those days. I mean, let's face it, the bikini tops They were annoying, especially when you didn't have anything to keep them from moving around and they just got in your way. So I left them behind with full understanding and permission of my parents. Where's your top? The boy, about a year or so older than I was, asked me. You're a girl. You're supposed to wear a top though I wouldn't have anything even resembling the start of breasts for, I don't know, seven years at least. I got the message. My body needed a fig leaf to cover over its now revealed shame. It was a lesson I wouldn't need to learn twice. Some things stick. I bet you remember the first time you were taught what you should feel some self-consciousness about your body or, or just the way you presented in the world, something that made you defective or deficient or just different. Maybe your feet were too big or too small, your hair was the wrong color or texture, too curly or too straight, you were too slow or filled out too soon or <clears throat> never filled out enough, Something about your skin color, your freckles, the shape of your eyes, the way you laughed, the way you walked or moved through the world in a wheelchair. Maybe you were born with a cleft palate or a lisp. Somehow, somehow though, you learned that somehow that thing mattered. We all learned a slowly, painstakingly delineated spectrum of beauty and acceptability. We were carefully taught a norm that was seemingly written in the skies and where we deviated from it and how to feel about that. Then the messages were reinforced everywhere in the playground, in the the villains and the losers and the heroes and the stars in our books and TV and movies, reinforced in our homes at the city pool. We learned about what Sonia Renee Taylor calls the ladder. Sonia Renee Taylor is a poet, first by vocation, a performance poet. But now she might be called more of a movement leader, an activist, quote, committed to radical self-love and body empowerment. A person who sees that work, quote, as a tool for social justice and global transformation. Yes, self-love and body empowerment as a tool for social justice and global transformation. I know. A key to Taylor's vision is naming this created illusion that she calls the ladder. The one we've all been taught to see and then to hold up. This particular ladder is all about bodies. It's an arbitrary ranking, but one one that gets tied to our worthiness, to the sense of what respect, care, esteem, access to jobs, resources, love we are each deserving of, all based on where we land on this ladder, tied to race, and ableism to ageism and lookism and a whole bunch of other isms. The latter that we buy into pays myriad dividends, none of them good. As a parent, as a parent of a 16-year-old daughter steeped in a world of teenagers, again, I am aware more so than ever of the messages that we all get and give about our bodies and our lovability. To be a parent is to see the world again, but with fresh eyes. And there is so much now that I see in the world that I couldn't quite see when I was going through it initially that challenges any healthy growing sense of self. I worry about the results of all that. I remember years ago, I bought a copy of Cosmopolitan magazine for a flight I was taking. I started the flight happy. I ended the flight feeling depressed and insecure. And I had the good sense to wonder why I never bought another copy of that magazine. I realized that day what it meant for an industry to profit from and play upon making me feel inadequate. I was 19. Nowadays with the rise in anxiety and depression among teens, the literally requisite annual school program on disordered eating, a world where self-cutting and all kinds of behaviors that might be the direct effect of body dysphoria are all part of the reality of growing up. We have to look around and ask with more emphatic energy than maybe ever before, what the hell are we doing? And why do we keep doing it to one another? Sonia Renee Taylor tells the story of when she woke up to it all and in a new way to what was wrong. She was at a poetry slam competition when one night at the hotel, a member of her team The woman, with cerebral palsy, admitted that she might be pregnant. The woman, Natasha, shared that this was almost assuredly from a man who was a casual sex partner. Taylor, who had actually worked as a sexual health and public service provider, gently asked more about the woman's circumstances. Taylor admits to asking questions that other people don't normally ask or wouldn't because she feels more comfortable doing so. And so she inquired why Natasha hadn't chosen to use a condom. She remembers her friend's answer, the answer about how difficult things already were with her disability and her body and not feeling like it was okay to make a fuss about contraception. Taylor responded in words that seemed to spill out of her in this rush of recognition and empathy. Natasha, she said, your body is not an apology. It's not something you give to someone and say sorry for the disability Natasha began to weep and Sonia Renee Taylor realized that the truth that she had just uttered was her own truth too and so said to herself Sonia your body is not an apology Your body is not an apology would be the name she would give to her book about this realization, to the movement she has started, to her digital media company that hopes to empower people around their bodies and in so doing to transform the world. Our body is not an apology. And yet, Taylor says, for so many of us, sorry has become The way we translate the word body. We are disconnected from our bodies so many of us she said. So many of us treating them like machines to be used and controlled with just enough gas and basic attention to keep them running until they break down and then we curse them. We try to mold them or cover up the shame. Or think that if we could just get them further up that ladder, we might finally be at peace with them. But here's the real tragedy. Nobody wins at this game. Those at the bottom are shamed and diminished by the ladder and harmed, and so are those at the top. I think of a woman I know who counts every calorie so proud she is of being rail thin, like a badge of honor that she clings to of this body that she has conquered like a foe. And of all the bodies that finally show their limits as all our bodies increasingly have to, that are then made spectators increasingly in a world that refuses to bend to the limits of bodies. No one wins at the ladder; It's a rigged game that keeps us scrambling and it's spiritually bankrupt Two. The Dalai Lama famously talks of the dangers of what he calls the comparing mind. He talks of how wherever and however it shows up, this way of being in the world, it's only ever a source of despair and so we have to let it go whenever it shows up. The latter, well, that's a comparing mind in action, a created hierarchy that has us all agree to stack and judge others based on arbitrary standards of who is more lovable whose bodies are more acceptable and less acceptable and lovable. The ones we need to protect and the ones that eh, they're diminishable, they're expendable. And the truth is that the latter, well, it's killing us, right? As Ta-Nehisi Coates writes in his letter to his son, in his book Between the World and Me, he writes all our phrasing Race relations, racial chasm, racial justice, racial profiling, white privilege, even white supremacy. It all serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience that lands with great violence on the body. It lands with great violence on anorexic girls, and transgender kids, 25% of whom will try to commit suicide at least once in their lives. This, this is where that piece of Taylor's mission that starts as about body empowerment and radical love ends with freedom and global transformation. To liberate ourselves and one another from all of this, It's to speak for life and love in the largest sense. How do we do that liberation? First, Taylor says we must make our peace with difference. Begin to notice all of the internalized messages that surface in us about what makes one body better or more lovable than another. Notice in us the judgments, the casual jokes, the socially conditioned, self-deprecating humor that has us putting ourselves down to make another feel better, all the ways that virtue is tied up subtly in our minds to the way bodies show up. Ask ourselves, Taylor says, why do I need people to be the way I believe they should be? Notice, even, as Taylor points out, even our tendency to insist that all bodies should be healthy. Health is not a state we owe the world, Taylor says. We aren't less valuable, worthy or lovable because we are not healthy. Our work begins by loving how one another shows up, of letting the latter go And if we turn away from it together, letting it disappear as the illusion and the construct that it is. And all of this, all of this involves some unlearning of a lot of old lessons planted long ago. Sixteen years after that fateful summer day in the pool in Los Angeles, 15 years later was the summer I graduated from college and I arrived for a five-week stint in Finland Randomly, through a friend, I had found out about a job in a basically a campground or a resort that was there and I applied and got it. In Finland, one tradition is that I think it's on Wednesday nights and Saturday afternoons, might be Sunday afternoons, everyone goes to the sauna. And it's a huge social thing to do, a gathering. So the women that I worked with at the campground We booked an hour at one of the facility's saunas to do that together. I arrived late from my shift and I entered with my bathing suit on. I didn't know that the other part of the tradition was to go nude. So I walked in and everybody was naked. It took everything I had to take that suit off and join them. So well planted are those lessons. I hadn't been without my suit top since I'd first been shamed to putting it on. But there's more to the story than that. I sat in this room with all these women with whom I had worked for a couple weeks by then. I realized in that moment that I had actually never been around so many naked bodies and seen anything really but my own mothers and the advertisements that had been Carefully curated for consumption, right? And I noticed, trying not to stare, but looking around the room, how different each body was. How none fit the norm in my mind of some, I don't know, normative, perfect body. But how each body was lovely. The long legs, the full legs, The small busts, the generous busts, the curves, the straight lines, the scars, the dimples, all lovely. And I realized what all that covering up and that shame that I'd been taught had helped to reinforce, the lie of some perfect body, the myth of better and worse. In all of our fleshy, wildly idiosyncratic bodies in that space, we were all beautiful. Beauty was the norm. The rest I could leave behind at the door with my discarded bikini top and bottom. The rest I would work to leave behind. And for now, so would my daughter. And so do you. Remember back to before you were taught to see what might be wrong with you, but never really was. Begin there and let the liberation the revolution of love and transformation for us all please begin amen